This is God's word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with all the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Cassie. You know, yeah, when the scripture passage ends with amen, let's see, it's hard to remember that there's, we have anything to do left after that, our standard uh, reply. Will you pray with me a second as we get into this? A God of grace, as we um, come into a room together, um, we come from different places. Um, it's possible that some of us feel, a lot of times outside of these doors, we feel strange because we might be the only person uh, who clings to a sort of uh, a faith in you or a trust in you amidst a sea of, of people who, who it just seems like um, it doesn't register. Some of us might have the opposite feeling. We walk into this place and we wonder, am I the only one struggling or not having faith and looking at it from the outside? Or we just come maybe from a place of feeling estranged from you for whatever reason, there's so many ways that that happens. Um, things that happen to us or things that don't happen to us that we feel should have. And we come from all these different places and in truth we're all the same. In one important way, we're more of a mess than we care to admit to each other. That's true of all of us. Your words though, we look to now, words that say we are in Christ more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. So will you speak to us through that grace and join us in this time in such a way that we walk away not feeling estranged, not feeling strange, but feeling more connected to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Isn't Halloween just a great time of year as we get closer to it? Does anybody just love this season? No? Come on. Anybody? No? You just love the... You know, it's like uh, being strange is legalized or something. You know, it's like sanctioned to just to, the, to have the shock value. Maybe you've got a, maybe a Halloween party coming up this week and you're trying to figure out what you're going to wear. You're getting excited about it, you know, and sometimes the stranger the better. Um, I, I picked up something about five, six months ago from a thrift shop, and I said, that's Halloween. Maybe Halloween just once, or see how it goes. It may be just my permanent Halloween costume. My kids will hate me if it is. It's a, it's a Harlem Globetrotters warm-up jersey. And I, I'm a basketball player, so just the irony of a, of a white boy, a white guy walking around with a Harlem Globetrotters warm-up jersey with, I don't know, think maybe accessorized with a headband and a wristband and, a, and have a basketball twirling on my finger. No? No? I'm... See, I, see, because it's strange. That's why you're not laughing right now, because it's, it's just too strange for you. Um, I like, I like kind of getting into some character and just being able to be totally off the wall and totally wacky. I love that part about this season. I mean, some of you are trying to figure out, you know, what are you going to be? Is, are you gonna, maybe it's you're just trying to figure out what to call your, 
your costume? You know, am I going to call it Mitt Ron Mummy or Mitt Zombie? Which one am I going to... Okay, I stole that from a TV show. So maybe. Um, yesterday, we took our whole family and we went to Arttober, which is a one-day... Well, I think it's a whole month thing, but yesterday there was a celebration down by K and J Street and 20th, and there were these guys walking around in three-piece suits with dinosaur heads, like perfect replica... T-Rex heads, and there were three of them walking around and moving like dinosaurs and or kind of reptilian, you know, with their perfect kind of robot movements with their head. It was, it was so crazy, and I loved it. And I took a picture of my boys next to them, and my boys looked freaked out. You know, they're like 10 and 7 years old. And then we walked over, and there was an artist booth, lots of art, lots of art, in this artist booth where this um, young gal had, she says, her first time with a booth of this awesome, unique stuff. What it was is this. Get ready. It was miniature uh, coffins about this big, and inside of each one was a, was a faux finger, like a severed woman's finger with polish on it. And I just, I'm sorry, I just thought it was so strange and off the wall and creepy and, and great seasonal happy Halloween-like strangeness. And in some of, then she had some of them had um, these goofy little cockroaches inside the, the tomb. So it was, just, it was just very silly and strange. Um, some of you, maybe, if you're like me, you listened to classic rock a little bit growing up or um, maybe way back in the day when it was like the new stuff. And there's a song by The Doors, People Are Strange. You ever heard this song? I love this song. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. I never thought to look up that song on Wikipedia until this week. I was thinking about this word strange. And, um, you know, Wikipedia, they say, this is a song about, um, make sure I get it right, this is a song about alienation and being an outsider. We're finishing up a series about City Life Church's mission. And this year we're focusing just on this word, inviting. It's like the umbrella term over the whole mission of City Life, that we do everything in an inviting way makes us think about you know, outsiders and, and what does it mean to be outside or to be strange. If I could paint the perfect picture of what I think City Life Church's mission looks like, um, it would be just picture a group of good friends in a circle together, you know, kind of that circle of friendship talking. But it strikes you as a little bit odd because all of them, like if you could kind of hover above, you'd see all of them kind of have a posture that's turned a little bit outward. All of them seem to be kind of keeping one eye over their shoulder, looking to see who can be welcomed in. All of them have one hand free to kind of wave in someone who's not yet in the circle. To me, that's City Life Church. That's a welcome that I've been able to see, sometimes even literally, you know, in the back after one of our gatherings or at social events that we have. You get to even literally see that happen. It's a beautiful thing, and that's what our mission is all about. But I think a question that naturally comes is how do you become that kind of person? How do we expect that that's going to happen in your life or in a, you know, a group of people all together? How do we get to that point? The Bible basically says that that's a natural outflow of the gospel. That this thing that we're always talking about and we stamp it with this, this strange word and we pack a lot of meaning into this word gospel, the gospel actually makes you more and more concerned about the stranger. Um, so how does that happen? This passage actually helps us look into that a little bit. And so we're going to look just using a few things in this passage. We're going to use two words and one logic. So two words and one logic. Let's start with the first word. 
First word is love. Love. There's language people get excited about Greek at the time that the Bible was written because there's four Greek words for love. Maybe you've heard this before. And the one that, that I'm talking about that is in our passage today is philos. And this is a love that you actually, it's a beautiful kind of love. And if you wonder, how do I become that kind of welcoming person that extends the circle and opens it up for others? You actually have the key to it already. Most of us, all of us, I would argue, probably all of us have a sense of this, at least. Most of us are pretty good at it. It's a beautiful kind of love you already possess, you're already good at, because it's the love shown, if you look up the word philos, it talks about love towards those who belong, love towards those you have relationship with. Those are the kinds of contexts that this love shows up. It's the love of the inner circle, if you will. It's a sort of automatic thing once you're in a certain kind of inner circle of love. And we all have some kind of automatic context of inner circle kind of folks in our life. And you and I are in in those kind of situations. We're natural at this. Can you think of those people in your life who if they asked you, you know, to walk a mile with them, you'd walk... 10 miles with them. You can think, perhaps, of these inner circle kind of people in your life. Usually, with this word in the Greek, philos, it's family. So let me give you an example. Uh, Think of the family who has a, one of their family members, say a son or a daughter or a sibling, gets into drugs and they end up addicted to heroin. Picture this family. This person, this, this family will actually undergo countless times of being lied to, of um, giving their resources in ways that just don't pay off, just a sacrifice of time and emotion and resources, re-welcoming in again over and over dozens of time, knowing that probably they'll get hurt, but for some reason they keep doing it. If, if it was anybody else and that person was coming to you, you know, and wasn't in your inner circle, You'd press charges immediately. You'd put a restraining order. You'd say, never again will this happen. Not so when it's a son or a daughter or a sibling. Sure, the family that I think thinks this through uh, well eventually maybe puts some boundaries and maybe the door gets closed, but it's lots and lots and lots and lots of sacrifice before that point is reached. Interesting. What's going on there? Philos. Automatic, inner circle kind of a love. I, uh, we have just had our fourth child, and so we got a minivan. And I, so I drive out, I see the ad, and I drive out to um, El Dorado Hills, and I punch in the right code to the gate of the community that, where this house is that I'm going to. I'm going to call this house a mansion, just because of the kind of house I live in. Some of you may not think of it that way, but I'm going to call it a mansion. And I, so we... So I see this car, and um, he tells me that they're moving. Their whole family, they have little kids, but they're moving across the world. Um, and so he shows me, he says, you've got to see my backyard. Okay, so we go to the backyard, and sure enough, there's this, like, 50 or 60 steps that go up in his backyard because he's on, a hill. He's on the El Dorado Hill. I mean, he's, he, the hill is his property, and it goes up this steep uh, hill right behind his house, and then he's got a landing at the top of these 50 or 60 steps that we walk up, And you walk up and then you turn around and you look and you can just see the whole valley. You can just see it all, you know? And he talks about sitting up there with friends and cocktails and watching the sun set. 
And I said something like, why are you moving? You, you know, I'm, I'm looking over top, easily over top of this mansion to the whole valley, and I'm thinking, I said something like, you know, you've got the American dream. What's going on? And, um, and he said he's going to go, they need to move because they need to take care of an ailing family member. Philos love. It's, it's natural, inner circle love. Pick up and move across the world. Uh, sacrifice all these things. We do it. It comes pretty natural to us. And of course, the, I have to kind of, I have to sort of give the caveat because maybe it feels to you like an elephant in the room is that not every family is like that. Not every family is a philo circle of love every time you get together and you maybe are picturing the holidays getting together and you're like, that ain't no inner circle of love, let me tell you, Mark. But So I get that, but here's the other thing is that you have a sense, probably even of some resentment if that's you, that you haven't got that. You, you have a sense that that's what's hoped for, that's what's possible kind of naturally. All right, so that's the first word. That's the first word, philos. And you notice I haven't really said much about this Bible passage yet, but I will now as we come into the second word because the second word is stranger. So you had love and now you have stranger because if you look at this passage and you get to verse 9, a lot of focus today just on verse 9, it says offer, offer hospitality. And what you don't see is the two words that make up that word hospitality are love and stranger. It's a stranger love. It's a powerful word. It kind of just, just by doing that and combining those two words, it's, a, it's, it's ripe with teaching and understanding of what the gospel is. Stranger love. Um, you know, and you, you've been in situations where you've been a stranger, you've been alone, you've been alienated, you've been disconnected. And, you know, de- degrees of how much that hurts. Um, you know, I, I had some ost- being ostracized in middle school, you know. I almost feel like sometimes in these, just in a little example, I'm still processing all of that, and I'm thinking, I need to go to more sessions of therapy to still deal with some of that back there, right? So you got these different grades, but just, like, just this week, I'm playing three-on-three basketball. And, um, and I'm playing on this team, and the other team, one of the guys has to leave. And then, so there's a sub, there's another guy coming in. And I didn't even catch this, wasn't paying attention, but all of a sudden I realized that there's a little switcheroo kind of happening. And I said, hey, did I just get traded? <laughs> so, you know, the new guy actually went on my team in my place, and I got put on the other team. And the guy's reply was something like, oh, I want to play with my brother. And, uh, and I know, I've played with these guys. I know that they're not siblings. They're not literally siblings. It's that kind of, he's my brother. You know, we've been, we've known he, we go way back, you know. That's the kind of way he was talking. And... Uh, and I mean, no big deal. All I really care about is that we keep playing basketball. But I will tell you, that second game, I played really hard against those guys. <laughs> and we crushed them, right? It never, fe- you know, it never feels good to be kind of just put out in some way. I mean, who cares? I'm still playing. I don't even know those guys. But just that little, that, oh, well, that's too bad. <laughs> that doesn't feel so good. Being a stranger, almost by definition, being a stranger means you're outside. You've been put outside of some kind of inner circle of love, you know, on the basketball court there, I wasn't considered a brother, you know, I wasn't in on that little circle. Halloween is interesting because I feel like it's a great reversal of, of how our culture is with respect to hospitality and stranger love. We're, we don't have a lot of um, practices, a lot of common understandings 
in, in our culture of how you need to be hospitable to someone you don't know. We just don't have a lot of that. And then on Halloween, all of a sudden, all these little bratty human beings are going to come to your door and they're not even going to say please and they're going to demand sugar treats from you and you would be like, you would really stand out as quite a jerk if you did not give them what they're asking for. Now, that, isn't that an interesting reversal on things? We spend our lives kind of holed up. We don't, we don't expect strangers to come to our door asking for things. And here we go, all of a sudden, Halloween, it's like the strangers go to your door and you just have to give them stuff and you have to smile while you do it. And most of us will, right? We'll enjoy, I call them brats, but it, it's fun. We love it. You know, the Bible actually has this, has the, not surprising, that the Bible has the original Halloween. Did you know that? You know this? There's this thread that you can follow in the narrative of Scripture, and we're going to pick it up just in one interesting spot in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 2. There's a thread that we could call the Halloween thread of the strangers coming to your door. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will will stream to it. And just like Halloween is kind of strange to us, this passage is kind of strange to the ancient people of Israel who had this sense of, wait, the temple? And everyone, all nations streaming to it? That's our temple. That's the center of our life and our special covenant relationship with God. What is this picture of Certainly the editors made a mistake at some point to say the nations will stream. No, we will stream to it and no one else. But the thread continues. Jesus, maybe you know the story, when he clears out the, um, the money changers in the temple courts, what's going on there? Some people say, oh, they didn't want people profiting off temple and all this kind of stuff. Actually, it was very needed for people to be selling animals for sacrifice around the temple. That was actually extremely important for the religious system to continue. What was the problem? They were cluttering up the outer court of the temple. That's where the nations, that's the spot reserved for the, all peoples and all non-Jewish people. The outer courts were cluttered up with all this buying and selling. Jesus overturns the tables because they weren't catching this thread of why that center of their life, center of the temple is God's presence, his footstools and the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the Holy of Holies. This is God's presence with his people and their whole life revolved around it and they weren't making room for the nations to stream to God's presence. And then when Jesus dies on the cross, the thread continues when he takes his last breath and we're told in the Gospel of Mark that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, kind of ending that separation of the presence of God and the world. And the nations will stream to God and to the temple. If you think about where Jesus' life ended, Jesus' very life the drama of it, the drama of what we call Holy Week, you know, Good Friday and, and, and Maundy Thursday, that whole, whole week of, of thinking about and, and meditating on the end of his life. His life was brought into Jerusalem where the inner circle of the religious establishment was. And he was pushed out. He was rejected. He was ostracized. He was alienated and estranged from the inner circle of power, from the inner circle of 
legitimacy. And what do we say about that as Christians? Why? What was going on there? What is happening? Well, on a cosmic level, he became the outcast stranger that I think you and I, under the surface, we're afraid we're going to end up there. One of our biggest fears. I think a lot of times even our daily activity, our daily behavior, our thoughts, our emotions can be traced back to something underneath the surface, some sense that we, we, in the end, we might be separated or estranged from God himself. So, I think that God shows us clearly if you follow this thread through and if you see what Jesus is doing, taking your place as the estranged one so that you can be led in to this cosmic love of God, if you know that, you start to see God a different way. You start to see God as the one who, whenever he is in an inner circle, is always has his eye on who's not in yet. He always has an arm ready to wave in the one who's not in the circle yet. That's God's nature that's the Father's nature. That's the Son's nature. When you, when you, when you hear, we, we actually know what it's like to hear the Father and the Son. You know, we're talking about philos and family relationships. We actually know what it's like to hear the Father and the Son talking to each other. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and he includes, a, listen to how he opens up this relationship, Father and Son, for all of us to come in. He's praying for all who will follow him, and he says, may they be one as we are one, I in them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. The picture is that the hope of God in heaven is that you and your friends might be in communion, in this incredible communion with him. The door has been opened through the cross for you to have that place. So that's the second word, stranger. So we got the love and we got stranger, and we have, God is saying, I don't want you to be estranged. I want, I want you to come in. And the last thing that I want to talk about is the logic. Notice, if you notice maybe that this passage starts in an interesting way, I don't even have time to deal with it particularly. It's for another day. But it starts with the words, the end of all things is near. And that's quite a, I mean, that deserves a whole day in itself. What's interesting is that what's followed up with that is, therefore be alert and of sober mind. And actually what, the kind of nature of that sober mind is like sanity or logic. That's the kind of ethos of that, the words that are translated there as sober mind. We don't, do you often think of someone who's saying, the end of all things is near? Do you think of them as sane, right? <laughs> um, we actually had, we had this prediction of end times, I don't know, was it a year ago? Was it two years ago? But this one minister, he had billboards, and you know, he got laughed at on every talk show and every radio show. It's a, it was a joke. You know, we look at it as not really playing with the full deck. Peter, as he's writing this, says, basically, the end of all things is near, so be sane. Be logical. Act logically. And what do I think he's saying by this? Well, one of the things, I think, comes down to the word in verse 9 that we've been looking closely at. Offer hospitality to one another, or offer a stranger love to one another, without grumbling. Without grumbling. I think that there's some logic there. 
There's some sanity there. Why is it sane to offer stranger love without grumbling? And grumbling in the Bible has to do with resource scarcity or resource depletion. Like the other day, we were at uh, Costco, and I was really hungry. And I walked in, and I realized, I said to Lisa, my wife, I said, samples. You know, I'll, I know where I'm going to get lunch, samples. And uh, Costco has all their food, you know, the sample booths and everything. And we got to this one, and I looked, and, um, and I was kind of in line. You know, I picture myself, I'm in line, and I've got my baby in the cart, so I can't really cut in, but I'm, I'm in line. And, and that, san- that one piece of that big sub sandwich that they've cut that's going to be mine because I'm counting, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to get that one. And then the guy behind me who doesn't have a baby in his cart leaves his cart here and squeezes next to me and gets the sandwich and then turns and walks right past me, you know, but not looking at me and just starts eating it as he's walking past me. And I, just, you know, I'm just like, you know, what is, I grumble. I wanted to grumble about that. I wanted to grumble, and I did. I grumbled about him. And, um, of course, well, that's silly, right? Resource scarcity when you're in Costco, of all places. Um, I think that's going to get replenished in a minute or two. But I grumbled, and in the Bible, grumbling is not, not voicing faith. Grumbling is a complaint. If you think about the number one kind of grumbling story, it's when the Israelites are in the desert. And even though their God has just brought them out from under the the number one power in the world, and they're just lowly slaves. And he brought them out, and the, 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 Egypt's army is, is in the sea. I mean, they've been swallowed up. But they get up to the desert, and they say, we're hungry, and they grumble. They complain. It's an, it, grumbling is like an accusation. It's not coming from a place of faith. And you and I, when we get into the situation where we're thinking, okay, this is a sermon about, this is a message from the Bible about opening up your life more to maybe others, maybe to strangers, immediately we start on the track that leads towards grumbling. We, lead, we, we go on the track of resource depletion, right? Isn't this an issue? Isn't, aren't these valid questions to start to ask if you start to open up your life and you become more charitable and you let other people into your life? I mean, aren't you going to get depleted when you let outsiders into your inner circle? Aren't you going to get a little burned out if you let people have a little more control over your time? Aren't you going to get exhausted? Aren't you eventually going to get resentful? And you say, of course. And some of you have been there. And you say, yes, that's what will happen. It's very logical. It's not logical. It's not logical with the logic that Peter is tapping into and that the gospel taps into. If you read verse, I want to read verse 10 and 11, but I'll just keep it short. You just read verse 11, or here, I'll just read the code words. In verse 10, you are stewards of God's grace. And then verse 11, if you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides. What's logical? Resource depletion? It just said the strength God provides. Provides. This isn't just a fluke text that you can write off when uh, the Apostle Paul is writing. We just went through this book, but we didn't focus on, when we went through Colossians on this particular verse, he says, I strenuously contend with what? What's stren- Adrenaline? Caffeine? Right, those, are, well, those are our standard options, right? He says, no, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Really, basically, as we close, basically there's, there's three options. 
There's no resource shortage. There's no resource scarcity. Those of you especially hear that if you're connected to city life and you help a lot and you maybe uh, have sense that this church is even a part of your calling. It's not just Mark's up here, but you're a part of it and you're working and you worry about, am I burned out? Am I going to give too much? One, here's the three things. You either are not knowing, you just don't, you're just not aware yet of the treasure of God that you've been led into, the treasure trove of energy and strength when God opens up his inner circle and invites you in. You just maybe just don't know. You just need to learn more about it. You need to connect more with it. Or you're not accessing it. You've heard about it. You're just not used to accessing it. You're addicted to the caffeine and the adrenaline. Or maybe third, there's a sense in which you're hoarding it. Just a simple question. Just answer whatever comes to mind. What do you do when there's something you need and you don't control it and you don't possess it? What do you do? What's that? Ask for it. I saw somebody in the back say it, go like this, like a hand gesture. I like that, because that's really the other option. But you ask for it, right? In, in, in life, that is what you do. You say, well, what am, what's left to do? Ask. The passage starts out and it says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Ask. How do you get what you don't even, the energy and the power that you don't even control? The resources that, you, that aren't even in your possession? You, you ask. You pray. Let us pray. God of grace, um, with such a mysterious uh, thing as the gospel, which works in our life and naturally opens us up more to those who don't yet have your love and your treasure. Um, with such a mysterious thing as this, we are so dependent upon your help, and we ask now, we pray that you answer our resource challenge. Scarcity, that's not logical in your economy. So we put that aside and we say, God, provide the resources. Provide the resources, each of us who struggle to give more to others, each of us who struggles to open up our lives more and to trust you with our time and to trust you with the uncomfortability of not being quite as in control of interactions with people. Those of us who have been just giving and giving and giving, perhaps, and feeling burned out, maybe for all the right reasons, would you answer the resource challenge? Through your Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us to be that church that models or that just follows our leader and opens up our life more and more to those who don't yet know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.